I'm David Atterbury, and this is Big Truths, a weekly podcast where we grow in Christian doctrine by looking through the door of church history. This is another special episode of Wednesday Night Class I'm teaching on the spiritual disciplines. We're going to explore what it means to meditate on Scripture. What does it mean to give our brains over to the Bible? Psalm 1 describes the one who does this as the blessed man who meditates on God's Word day and night. Well, what tools do we need in order to do that? What does that actually look like practically in our lives to meditate on Scripture? We'll learn about this and more in this episode of Big Truths. Begin by looking at Psalm 119. Looking at the third section, beginning in verse 17, as we begin. It begins this way. The psalmist writes, Psalm 119, starting in verse 17. Reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, he writes, Dear, deal bountifully with your slave that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I am a sojourner in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk about me, your slave muses on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. I love that. The word of God, his testimonies, are the counselors to the psalmist. When he doesn't know what to do, where does he turn? He turns to God's word, and it counsels him. It speaks to him. He dwells on it. He says in verse 18 that he wishes for eyes that are open so that he could see things, wonderful things in the law of God. He can read it, but his eyes need to be open so that he can behold things that only God by his grace shows us, wonderful things in the law of God. This is similar to what we saw last week in verse 11. He writes, your word I have treasured in my heart. So it's not just the reading. It's the treasuring of God's word in his heart that I might not sin against you. Jump ahead to verse 98 of Psalm 119. Verse 98. 98 says, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are mine forever. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. So it's not just the mere glancing and the reading of God's word that helps him so much, but he says it is his meditation. He's dwelling on this. He's chewing on this. So therefore, through God's word and the absorption of it, he has more insight than all the teachers of their earth on the earth with their wisdom. His commandments, the Lord's commandments, make the psalmist wiser than his enemies. He treasures them. They're mine. 
forevermore. And as we think on these things, let's begin with prayer. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us a heart like the psalmist, that we may treasure these things, that they would be our meditation, so that you would open our eyes, so that we would not merely just read or glance at your word, but in staring at it, you would give us the eyes to see the wonderful things in it as we seek to meditate on your word. Pray all this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. You know, friends, the greatest privilege of our lives is the privilege to know the Lord and to meditate upon his word. The greatest privilege of our lives is to know the Lord and to meditate, to know him through his word. This is the way of blessing that he has laid out for us. So last week we began talking about uh, Bible intake. And this is going to be Bible intake part two. So last week we talked about reading broadly, but also reading deeply God's Word. And last week I gave you the challenge to read Scripture, read more of Scripture, read whole books of Scripture in one sitting. But that's just the exposure. Exposure is not enough. We also need the absorption. The first step is to read it. You can't apply what you don't read. So we need to read broadly scripture and make a commitment to expose ourselves to it. But then what do we do? What after that? Well, we meditate on scripture. We seek to have it absorb into our lives. So what we're talking about tonight is meditation and memorization meditation and memorization but really memorization is a form of meditation on God's Word but this is the way of blessing that he has laid out for us in his word for example as it says in Psalm 1 blessed is the man Oh, I forget it. I said I was going to memorize it, and then the Lord wanted to humble me. <laughs> Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who walks not according to the counsel of the wicked, nor the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law, what does he do? He meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, whose leaf does not wither, it bears its fruit in its season, and all he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, sinners will not stand in the assembly, or the wicked in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the sinners will perish. There's such a delight in God's law that we're called to enjoy. Like it says in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord's are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is clean. No, I got that wrong. The Fear of the no, commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. How's it go, Tony? What's the last verse? I forget. So I, I do the whole <laughs> chapter, but I yeah. do that part because yeah. the song that we used to sing uh, mm -hmm. back, in my, back in the day, uh, most of the song was 19. So yeah. that, I didn't know the last yeah. part. It's not part of the song. May the meditation of my mouth and the, as we go, the thoughts of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God's word calls us into intimacy with him through his word. As David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, my cup overflows, you anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How do we get that kind of confidence? We meditate on God's word. We know him and know his character. Like it says in Psalm 46, the Lord, oh no, I forgot it again. How does Psalm 46 begin again? Uh, the Lord is our rock and our redeemer. Uh, an ever-present help, therefore we will not fear. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams will make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, but he utters his voice, and the earth melts. The, God of, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob, is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations to the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among all nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the Lord calls his people to this kind of intimacy and trust in him. Well, how do we get that? By knowing the Lord. As it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall, te you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall be uh, bound as a sign upon your hands, there to be frontlets between your eyes. You should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when you enter the land, for the Lord God has given to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things you did not fill, and cisterns you did not dig, and vineyards and fruit trees you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. To know this God, to love him through his word, there's no greater privilege. And God, this God, 
by his word, he sent his word into the world, Jesus Christ, that we would truly know him through his son. As it says in Hebrews chapter 1, God having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his image, who upholds all things by the word of his power, who having after made cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, as the name he has inherited is better than the angels. For which of the angels has God ever said, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all of God's angels worship him. But of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers flaming fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. For you have loved, uh, for the, for you, for, hang on, hang on, I'll get it. For you, for the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. For you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And again, it says, you, Lord, made the earth, and the heavens are the works of your fingers. Speaking of Jesus, they will all perish, but you will remain. They all will wear out like a garment, and like a mantle, you will roll them up, and like a garment, they shall be changed. But you are the same, and your years endure forever. For which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So are they not all ministering spirits sent to render uh, help to those who will inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention. For if the word, for, for we must pay much closer attention lest we drift away. For if the word spoken to angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just condemnation, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. And the salvation first spoken by the Lord uh, was confirmed to us by those who heard. And also the Lord giving testimony through signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Spirit according to his own will. So brothers and sisters, we must pay much closer attention to know this God, to know this word. The greatest privilege of our lives is to know the Lord and to meditate on his word. This is the path of blessing for us. This is ground zero for godliness. So I want to encourage you tonight in this. And I want you to know you can do this too. We can have a deeper experience with the Lord through meditation and memorization. So let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Joshua. I want to show you something in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. So someone read that out loud for us, if you will. Joshua 1, 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Yeah, so what psalm does that sound like? 
Sounds like Psalm 1, doesn't it? So the three major sections of Scripture, the law, the prophets, and the writing, according to the Hebrew organization of the books, each major section begins with the powerful Word of God. The book of the law, the first five books of the Bible, begins with Genesis. So God's Word made all things. It gave being to order, it gives light, and it creates life. And His Word continues to give life and bring light to us. Because the God who spoke things into existence also speaks His promises. And they also will come to pass in their season. So I love what Dr. Edmund Clowney once wrote. He said that just because God's Word is in the future tense doesn't mean it has any less power than it does in creation. So His promises will come to pass. Just as He said, let there be light, and there was light, so also if God has promised something, it still has the same power. And this God who revealed himself to us by his word. So how should we respond to this word? In the second major section of scripture, the prophets, begins with Joshua. And he begins with a meditation upon the powerful word of God. Careful meditation. We, as the people of God, will live upon his word, meditating on it. And then the third section of the Hebrew Bible, the writings, begins with the Psalms. And Psalm 1 begins with the same thing. Who is the blessed man? He is the man who gives his brain over to the Bible. He's the one who experiences this Edenic fruitfulness. His word is the meditation and his counselor. So the question is, how does someone meditate on Scripture? I mean, what is meditation? What does that word even mean? So the word meditation in Hebrew is Hagah. Hagah. What does that mean? Well, it means meditate, but it also means uh, to utter or to mutter. Or you can say muse. And sometimes it means to plot. So think about that word plot. It's not something you do overnight. A plotting, a musing, a muttering. It's something that's kind of long and steady. But the word Hagah means more literally roar or growl, like a lion. That's the word meditation means. It's a roaring or a growling. How does a lion growl? It's not a short, sharp meep. It's low, it's guttural, it's kind of a long rumble. Uh, sometimes this word in the Bible can be translated as mourn, to mourn, to grieve. So there's that kind of long muttering and musing under your breath. I'll give you a reference. You don't have to turn there. But Job 37.2 says this. Job 37.2. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. And that word rumbling, that's Hagah. So it's the imagery of the voice of the Lord like thunder rumbling out. This long, low a steady rumbling, this deep kind of rolling noise that goes across the atmosphere. So what is meditation? Well, meditation then is the long rumbling of thought. Meditation is the steady, deep plodding and musing on God's word. 
So you whisper about it to yourself under your breath, which is very different than how the world usually talks about meditation, right? So there's biblical meditation versus unbiblical Eastern meditation. So what's Eastern meditation? It's emptying your mind, right? Emptying your mind of thought. Think of nothing. Clear your mind. But biblical meditation, it's the opposite. It's filling up our mind with thought. You know what biblical meditation is? It's chewing on the cud. You know what that means? So when a cow first eats her feed of straw or hay, she chews it just enough to moisten it and then swallow it. And then the bacteria in the first section of her stomach, which is called the rumen. Do you know what other English word we get from rumen, the first section of the stomach? Ruminate, yeah. This cow ruminates and chews on, digests the straw and the hay. So this softened food is called the cud, and then what happens to the cud? It goes back up into the mouth and is chew it some more. It gets rechewed before going back down into the stomach to be fully digested. So aren't you thankful? God gave you a powerful stomach with powerful acid so you don't have to literally chew your food a second time. So effectively, what we're talking about is reading the Bible in such a way that you're going to be able to regurgitate it and chew it some more. So straw and hay have to be slowly digested to break it up. It's tough material. You've got to break it down so that you can absorb it. So also passages of Scripture have to be broken up and chewed so we can absorb it and digest it. So this is really what's being talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear or listen. Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you're just sitting at home. Talk about the Bible. When you walk along the way, when you're on the road, out and about, talk about the Bible. When you lie down at night, talk about the Bible. When you rise up in the morning, talk about the Bible. It's to between our eyes, as it said. But I think this is interesting because, you know, they didn't have pocket Torahs. So how would they have meditated on the law? Let's hear from you. If you don't have a Bible at home, and you're commanded by God to meditate on his word, how in the world do you do that? You remember. That's one way to do it. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31, a little to the left of Joshua. Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31, starting in verse 9. Deuteronomy 31, 9. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the son of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of Yahweh and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of the remission of debts, at the feast of booths, when all Israel comes to appear before Yahweh your God at the place which he will choose, you shall what? You shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. So once every seven years, all of Israel was gathered together and they heard out loud Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 
Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which would take about 15 hours. So this may have been a multi-day process, or maybe they just did it all in one day. How would they have meditated on this law? Number one, they would have to be really good listeners. They would have to be good listeners of a law. Number two, they would have to be really good mutterers and musers to listen on it, to kind of whisper it under their own breath, to repeat it back to themselves. And they would have to be, thirdly, good memorizers of Scripture. And so the sociological history and the concept of the family Bible is really interesting, especially for genealogical studies, where they would write, you know, your own Bibles. You might be wondering, why in the world do they still have all these little tables at the front? Births and deaths and marriages. Why do they do that? Because the family Bible was passed down from generation to generation. It's not until very recently in Christian history, and even Jewish Old Testament history included, would families have had immediate personal access to the Bible. It's a new concept. How would they have heard the Bible? You'd have to go to church and hear it read, especially in societies of low literacy levels. It's not until the printing press could individual families even dream of having a Bible. So flip over to James chapter 1. I'm going to show you another verse of Scripture as we think about meditation and dwelling on God's Word. So James chapter 1. James 1.25. He says this, But one who, what? One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man will be blessed in what he does. So we need to read and listen to Scripture in such a way that we don't glance in the mirror and then turn and forget what we just saw. We should be those who look intently so that we would be changed by it. We're changed by our staring at the Word so that we would do it. We read so that we may understand, so that we may apply. So it doesn't do us much good to read the Bible and then ignore what it says. It doesn't do us much good to read a chapter of the Bible and then quickly forget it. So we need to find a way to read so that we could stare intently at the Word so that we would be changed by it and then do it. So reading is not the same thing as absorbing. So reading deeply scripture, this is exposure. This is reading, but it's not the same as absorbing. So exposure is not the same thing as absorbing. Reading is not the same thing as meditating. Reading is exposure. Meditation is absorption. So in the same way, a heavy rain doesn't do much good for the crops if all the water just washes away quickly downstream. A torrential downpour is not actually that great for crops because most of it just goes into the storm sewer. What you need is a slow trickle of rain so that the dry ground can absorb it. That's why farmers love a heavy snow because it slowly melts and just soaks the ground. So we believe God's word has the ability to change us but our method matters. So let's talk about method. So how can we absorb God's word? So let's suppose you're at a camp out 
And this podium here, this is the campfire. Someone built it for us, and we wisely uh, went camping in December. So we're over here. We're freezing. We need warmth. So we go over. I got to get warm. I got to get warm. I'm so cold. I'm so cold. I'm so cold. I'm still cold. A lot of good that campfire did me. I tried the campfire thing. It doesn't work. Didn't help me at all. I'm still cold. But what was the problem? You need to stay by it. You need to linger. The fire is not at fault. My method needs some help. I had a brief exposure to the fire, but there was no absorption of the warmth. So I need to spend time longer soaking in the heat to linger by the fire. Any tea drinkers or lovers here? Most of you are coffee people. We got a few tea drinkers. Good, good. So to make a great cup of tea, you know you stick the tea bag in for two seconds and then pull it out, right? You get a little warmth, a little color, you stick it in for 20 seconds, and then pull it out. It's a little tastier. You gotta leave it in for three or four minutes. Leave it in for 15 minutes, it'll put hair on your chest. <laughs> to make a strong cup of tea, you can't just lightly dip the leaves in. They need to steep for a long time. So also, we need to steep our minds in Scripture, to linger by the fire of the Word, so that we would be changed. So, rest of the time together, we're going to talk about six tools for you to do this. So, six tools. And this is also your homework. So, every week I've been giving you homework. I'm giving you six parts to your homework. But I know you can do it. I believe in you. So, step one. What's a tool to help us absorb God's Word? Well, simply, number one... We need to make time for it. We need to make time for God's Word. So last week I talked about sitting down, challenging ourselves, and one sitting to read the Bible in 30 minutes. If you couldn't do that, read the Bible in 15 minutes. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Take your 15 minutes, and then you add three more for meditation. Now you might be thinking, 18 minutes is a bit much for me, David. I really don't think I can do this. This is not really practical for me in my life. Okay, I'll make it easier for you. Take off three minutes of your reading. Read the Bible for 12 minutes then, and meditate on it for three minutes. Because I know you've already agreed to the 15 minutes last week, right? So I've got you. I've trapped you. If necessary, read less scripture so that you can spend time meditating on it more. Because exposure is not going to help you unless there's absorption. It's just going to be water flowing through a pipe. So if necessary, read less scripture so that you can spend more time meditating on it. But still, I don't want to let you off the hook. If you think you can do 18 minutes, that's great. Read for 15, but memorize, or rather meditate for three minutes. Make some time for it. Set aside time in your schedule. Number two, a second tool. Pick a verse. So as you read, maybe in 15 minutes you can get two or three or four chapters of the Bible read. Four chapters is a lot to kind of study on. So here's something you can do. Just pick one verse. 
So as you read, there might be a verse that kind of hits you in a certain way, kind of really leaves an impression on you. You're deeply kind of impacted by a certain verse. You think, That's, there's something there. There's something really interesting there. If there's a verse that you think could summarize the chapter really well, just pick that verse and spend some time thinking on it. So for your three minutes, just read that one verse over and over again. Meditate on the one verse. Okay, how do I do that? What does that look like? Number three, I want you to turn the Bible into a Ricola drop. Turn the Bible into a Ricola drop. Is that clear? No? You know what a Ricola drop is? A little lozenge? Take your verse of scripture and stick it in your cheek and let it slowly dissolve. How do you do that? What you can do you got post-it notes, right? I like the three inch by five inch ones. It's nice and big. You can write your verse, that one verse that stood out to you. You can write it here on the sheet of paper. You can fold it down so you don't have the little adhesive. On one side, you can write your verse down. And then you can fold it and stick it in your pocket. And now you can do your quiet time all day long. Memorization, rather meditation, doesn't have to end when you close your Bible. You can take it with you. Uh, I prefer post-it notes. Those white kind of index cards are too pokey. They're made of cardstock. So the good thing about this is that if it's in your pocket, you now got a little pebble in your shoe. So every time you're at the store, you're walking around, you stick your hands in your pockets, you think, what's that in my pocket? It's like, oh, yeah. I was meditating on this verse today. You can get it out and you read it again. You're sitting at the store. If you're in a line, uh, anytime you think about it, you can just pull this verse out, think about it. You got a lozenge in your cheek now. Your quiet time can continue all day. So take that verse, turn it into a Ricola drop, and just take it with you. That's a tool that you can meditate on God's word day and night not just for the 15 or 18 minutes in the morning. You can muse and think on God's word all day long. That one verse of scripture, it might summarize all the three chapters you read that morning. And so you can recall to mind these different things. Well, what should I be thinking? What should I be recalling to mind? Number four, here's a fourth tool that you can do. Set for yourself a minimum number of insights. So set for yourself a minimum number of insights. So maybe you're reading through Jeremiah. You get to Jeremiah chapter 23. When the Lord asks rhetorically, is not my word like fire? It's not my word like fire, says Yahweh, like a hammer that breaks the rocks. You think, wow, that's a great verse. So you take out your piece of paper, 
You write down that verse in Jeremiah, it's not my word like fire. And as you're thinking about it, what do you think of? Set a minimum number of insights to really challenge yourself, stretch yourself. So you might say, I'm going to think of nine ways that God's word is like fire. He says, my word is like fire. It's not my word like fire. Well, in what ways is it like fire? So you begin musing on that, thinking about that. In what way is God's word like fire? Maybe on the other side, with your pen, you begin sketching out different insights. You might say, I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to think of nine ways that God's word is like fire. So you might think, well, God's word purifies. And as you muse on the context, he's talking about those that listen to the prophecies of the Baals. In contrast, it's not my word like fire. His word purifies. God's word is real. God's word is powerful, unlike the prophecies of the Baals. Well, why is that? Think of the third insight. Because God's word reflects God's character. Number four, you could think, I can know God through his word. He is a consuming fire. His word is like fire. So that's four insights already. But you may run out of time. You think, I got to get going. Well, now you got your little recolor drop. You got your little pebble in your shoe. You stick it in your pocket. And as you go throughout your day, you feel that. It's like, what is this? Oh, yeah. It's not my word like fire. And you look on the back. You got four insights. You got five more before the day ends. You can spend the next seven hours just thinking about that. It's not my word like fire. In what ways is God's word like fire? You can muse and mutter and chew on that all day. Now, you may not get nine insights. That's okay. You might get six. But guess what? That's six more than you would have had anyways. So this is what I did this week. Got my little sample here. I'm reading through Isaiah. And Isaiah 17.7 really struck me. He's talking about the judgment he's going to bring on his people, how they're going to experience a famine. They're going to experience hardship. They'll go from fatness to leanness, and the harvest of the crops will be small. And that day, man will have regard for his maker, and his eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel. That just really struck me. In their suffering... In that day, man will have regard for his maker, and their eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel. It just really struck me. So I wrote that down, and I said, you know, I'm going to think of ten insights, ten things I can glean and apply to my life in thinking about that. Here's what I wrote. Number one, suffering draws our eyes to God. Number two, God wants us to look to him when we suffer. Number three, God sometimes allows suffering so we may draw close to him. Number four, sometimes it's good to realize our human helps and what we rely on don't help. Number five, we're prone to forget God. Number six, God knows where we look. Number seven, sometimes it's good to pray for human helps to fail in others so that they would reach rock bottom and seek the Lord. Number eight, it says, in that day man will have regard for his maker. And I thought, you know, the maker is owed our worship and our dependence. He wants us to look to him because he is the maker. So there's something in him being the maker of heaven and earth that we should rely on him for what we need for our daily bread. He's owed our worship. Number nine, as the maker, 
he's still in control and he can still provide. And number 10, I was fascinated by this phrase, his eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One. So number 10, the Holy One wants us close to him. So they're sinners, but God says, I want sinners close to me. But we would think he's holy, therefore he would repel and push away sinners. But as the Holy One of Israel, he wants his people to draw close to him, though they are sinners. So that's something I did musing this week on that. So set a minimum number of insights for yourself as you meditate on that. A fifth tool. I have a handout for you. So I'm going to give this to you as a tool that you can take with you. Take one, pass it back. Get one for myself. So this is a tool for you as you think about meditation. So one of your homework assignments, you don't have to do all of these. There's 17 different ideas for how you can meditate on Scripture, to muse on it and chew it. I'm not asking you to do all 17 before next week. But I do want you to look at this, think about it, examine it. Think about what you can start applying to your own life as you muse on things. So I get this from Dr. Don Whitney, who wrote the book, Spiritual Disciplines. He was my professor in seminary. Here's some of the things he said. Number one, when you meditate on scripture, you can emphasize different words in the text. For example, if you're reading through John, the wedding at Cana, his mother says, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever God asks, you should do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. There's a lot of voices that cry out for our attention. We need to listen to the Lord. Whatever he says to you, do it. We need to listen to his voice. Where do we hear his voice in his word? Whatever he says to you, do it. There are ways in which I need to obey Jesus. Whatever he says to you, do it. It's not good enough to just listen, but to listen and obey. Number two, something else you can do. You can rewrite the verse, phrase it in your own words. Number three, you can summarize the principle of the text and make it memorable. So it's this passage about future judgment. You can say payday someday. Number four, think of an illustration of the text. Just think about the book of James. You know what the tongue's like? Tongue's like a wild animal. We've tamed all sorts of animals. We can put them in zoos. No man's been able to tame the tongue. You know what the tongue's like? It's like a rudder of a ship. It steers the great thing. You know what the tongue is like? It's like a mighty horse that needs to be controlled by its bit and bridle. You know what the tongue is like? It's like a fire. It's like the fire of hell itself. It's ready to burn down your whole life if you don't control it. You know what the tongue is like? The tongue is like a fountain. It's either going to be blessing or curse. Either it's going to be salt water or it's going to be fresh water. It's just wonderful. James is just amazing at that, coming up with illustrations. Number five, look for application. So don't close until you know what God would have you to do. Wrestle, wrestle with the text. I won't let you go till you bless me. Number six, think about how does this text point to the law or the gospel? Seven, how does the point text to some aspect of the person or the work of Christ? Do we learn more about his future coming? Do we learn more about his current ascension and ministry at the right hand of the Father? Do we learn more about his resurrection? Number eight, what question is answered? What problem solved? Sort of like the Jeopardy method. 
You know, uh, this man was the first president. Who is George Washington? You know, think about what problem does this text solve? Number nine, pray through the text. We're going to talk about that next week. So next week, be sure to bring your Bibles. We're going to talk about praying through Scripture. Number 10, memorize the text. Create an artistic expression of the text. Number 12, ask the Philippians 4.8 questions. What's true about this text? What's dignified, honorable? What's right in this text? What's pure? What's lovely about this text? Number 13, there was a man, Puritan, by the name of Joseph Hall. He wrote a book called The Art of Divine Meditation in 1607. So what is it? What is this text? What are its parts or divisions, squeezing each little word? What causes it? What does it cause? What's the fruit of this text? What's its place, location, use? How is it situated in the context of this passage? What are its qualities or attachments? What's the opposite of it? What does it compare to? What's an analogy? What are its titles or names? Could you give a synonym for this? What are the testimonies or examples of Scripture? Where do we see this text come true and come alive in the Bible? Number 14, like I said, set and discover a minimum number of insights from the text. Really challenge and stretch yourself. 15, if you're reading something like Robert Murray McChaney's a Bible reading plan where you read like one chapter from Genesis, one chapter from Matthew, uh, one Psalm, try to find a link or a common thread between the different passages if you're in a Bible reading plan about that. Ask how it applies to life. And if you're into meditation mapping, if you know a bit about that, I'm sure you can look it up. You can try to do that with the text as well. So those are five tools to give to you. Make some time to do this. Pick one verse and really chew on it. Take that verse with you. Even practical helps, like a post-it note. Set a minimum number of insights to really chew and think on this text. And make use of this piece of paper as you meditate and dwell on the text. I said six tools. That's five. Any guess on what number six is? Memorize the text. Memorization is a form of meditation. Memorize the text, even. All right. I'm going to talk about meditation for the rest of the time together, but. Anything to clarify? Any questions? Any comments before we move on and dive deep into meditating on Scripture? Or rather, memorization? All right. Memorization. If I gave you $1,000 for every verse you memorized, how motivated do you think you would be? I think you would find yourself suddenly very, very motivated to memorize scripture, right? 365 days a year. I mean, you could take a lot of months off. You could still make a quarter million every year. $1,000 a day, 250 days, make a quarter million a year just memorizing scripture. You would suddenly find resources within your own self that you never discovered or thought possible, you would suddenly discover you are the best Bible memorizer on the planet. You would discover you have a brilliant mind. 
guess what? We already have better treasure right here. Remember Psalm 19? More to be desired than gold. Well, some gold's okay, I guess, but he doesn't just say some gold. Even much fine gold. Do you really believe, friends, that what you have in Scripture, to know the Lord, the highest privilege of your life, to know His Word, to meditate upon it, do you really believe this book and knowing the Lord through it is worth more than winning the lottery, winning $35 million in a windfall? Friends, that's what the Bible says. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. I guarantee you, you're not lacking in the intelligence or the ability to do this. You memorize a lot of things. You know your phone number. You know your spouse's phone number. You know your address. Uh, you men, you know a lot of sports statistics. You know the quarterbacks of nearly any, any NFL team. You memorize a lot of things. Uh, right now, there are six-year-olds upstairs who are putting us all to shame in their Bible memorization. So how do you memorize Scripture? If I can do it, you can do it. So how do you do it? Well, I'm going to show you how I have attempted to memorize Scripture over my life. So the way that I have sought to memorize Scripture is three simple numbers. Ten, ten, one. So I do the ten, ten, one plan. Uh, I don't know who came up with this, but in college I was at my school sitting, uh, waiting on an appointment for some administrator to talk to him about tuition or financial help or something, and they just happened to have a little pamphlet on the side table, and I picked it up. It was about Bible memorization, and it changed my life. And it just said this, 10-10-1. This is a method to memorize scripture. So what I have here, I do have some handouts. I said I have homework. I have homework for you. So go ahead and take one, pass it back. So I want to challenge you, if you've never memorized a whole chapter or memorized any of the Psalms before, I have there on the handout uh, Psalm 1, both in the Legacy Standard Bible and in the ESV on the right. On the other hand, on the other page rather, there's also Psalm 23, the Legacy Standard Bible and in the ESV. And then on the back, two pages, there's Ephesians chapter 1. So what I am asking you to do by way of homework, if you haven't memorized either of these two psalms, pick one and memorize it. That's your homework. I want you to pick one of these psalms, Psalm 1 or Psalm 23. There are only six verses each. If you do one verse a day, you can have it memorized before we meet next week. Psalm 1 or Psalm 23. If for some reason you've memorized both of those, pick another psalm. Or if you really want to challenge yourself, you can memorize Ephesians chapter 1. I might ask, David, I don't know how I'm going to do that. Well, good news. I'm going to show you how. What we can do, you can always just tear out one of these sheets. Just fold it in half. You can tape it on your bathroom mirror. So you just, every time you're brushing your teeth, you can do this while you're brushing your teeth. 
in the morning as you're getting ready. So how do you do this? Here's the 10-10-1 plan. So what you do, you read it out loud with your eyes open while looking at it 10 times. And then you read it out loud 10 times with your eyes closed. And then one time reviewing everything you've memorized. So here's how it would look like. So Psalm 1. I memorized it in the ESV. So let's look at that. Or actually, better yet, for the sake of time and your sanity, I'm going to do it with Psalm 23, since that's a shorter first verse. So here's how you would do it. It really does help to say the reference out loud. So I would do it like this. So day one is different, but as you build this up, it's going to make more sense. So this is how I've memorized scripture. So Psalm 23, what you do, you say 10 times with your eyes open looking at it, and then you say it 10 times with your eyes closed, doing your best not to look at it. It's okay to glance, kind of iron out any wrinkles in your memory. Then at the very end, you review everything you've done. So it would look like this, and it helps if you say the reference and you count with your fingers, because you're, you're gonna lose track. So it would look like this, Psalm 23, one, and you can say a Psalm of David or not, I just won't. I didn't memorize it that way, but it is included in the Hebrew. Psalm 23, one, Yahweh is my shepherd. Let's do the ESV rather. Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So that's 10 times. What do you do next? Do it without looking. And this really, at this point, it becomes devotional as you meditate on this. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as you do it, you can squeeze each word and devotionally think about it. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm, one, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the first day is different because you don't have a lot to review. You just have one verse. Okay, we go to sleep, wake up. Next day, what do you do? Psalm 23, 2. And you could do the review at the beginning or at the end. I usually do it at the beginning. It helps me because my, my mind's less kind of mentally drained. So you can say, okay, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Got it. So you just do a review one time. Now, next day, Psalm 23, 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. Psalm 23, 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. You do the process, you read it 10 times out loud, and it really, really does help to say the reference. Psalm 23, 2. And then after you do it 10 times without looking, um, Psalm 23, 2, it's okay to look if you 
forget a word. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So as you're thinking, uh, as you're kind of attempting to memorize it without looking, your, your mind is going to pick up on little uh, pebbles in the road, little wrinkles you got to iron out. So it helps to realize, oh, it says he at both sentences. So he, he. Psalm 23, Psalm 23, 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So after saying it without looking 10 times, then you review. Psalm 23, 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And that's it. Then the next day, you do verse 3. You read verse 3 10 times. And then you try to say verse 3 without looking 10 times. And then you review. Psalm 23, 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And as you go along, it might be good to notice, oh, each sentence in the ESV begins with he. So that helps. He makes me. He leads. He restores. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then you just keep doing that until you get to the end. And then just each day, just kind of uh, make an effort to just review the things that you have memorized. Any questions? Any thoughts? We're out of time now. 714. Any clarifications? Good. So you got homework to do. So as you continue to read Scripture broadly, don't forget to read Scripture deeply. Make some time for it. Pick a verse. Really chew on that verse. Take it with you. And I want to challenge you. Memorize a psalm. Psalm 1 or Psalm 23. If you've got both of those memorized already, praise the Lord. Pick another. Or really challenge yourself. Memorize Ephesians chapter 1. All right. Let's close in prayer. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you that we can know you through your word. Pray, Lord, that it would be our meditation so that we become more like Christ who loved your word and lived it. Pray, Lord, that you would give us deeper experiences and intimacy and knowledge with you as we seek to chew and absorb your word so that we would be changed by it, so that we would no longer be those who look in a mirror and forget what we look like, but looking into the perfect law, it would stick with us. It would stay with us. It would be our meditation day and night so that we could grow to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our might. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.